I see it is you've got two choices. You can either keep pretending like nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you, and then when it does, you're saying, uh-oh, or you can get ahead of what's coming so that when it does, not if, you're ready for it, and you're sitting pretty, sipping on Mai Tais next to the pool, working on that Caribbean suntan, because you got it covered. So folks, it's time for you to learn the truth about money. It's time for you to take back control of your money so that you are ready for what's about to happen. By doing that, you're setting yourself up for absolute success. No matter what comes your way, you're ready for it. And that's what I want for you, and I wanna help you with that. So go to chrisnoggle.com and sign up for the Wealth Webinar. We do them every Wednesday at 1 p.m., and you need to be there because it's time for over 90 years, we've been crash testing our cars in the tireless pursuit of automotive safety. At Volvo, safety's been first since 1927. We've saved millions of lives with the invention of the three-point seatbelt in 1959. At Volvo, we've made driving safer for you and them. Visit safety.finleyvolvo.com to learn more. So they say if you give a man a gun, he'll rob a bank. But if you give a man a bank, he'll rob everybody. The good news for you is Private Money Club runs solely on peer-to-peer -peer relationships, which means no banks allowed. So finally, there's a community for real estate entrepreneurs where it is truly a win-win solution. This community is a place where you can connect with other lenders and other borrowers, and the end result's massive growth for you. You get to build your real estate empire, and you get to do it solving other people's problems. So if that sounds like a place you want to be, well then join us. Go to privatemoneyclub.com forward slash Kelly. And if you want 500 bucks off, just add the code Kelly500 and I'll knock 500 bucks off the premier membership. We'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast where attitude is everything. On today's uh, show, there's going to be a completely different vibe. I, I already felt it right when we got on the call. It's incredible. Um, I want to uh, do a shout out to all of our sponsors and for every single person out they're listening. If you're listening, do us the biggest favor in the world. If you're listening on Apple, go right now and just do a review. Uh, put a five star in there. You can do a four star, three star, whatever it is. Give us a review. That helps us out the most. On YouTube, smash the subscribe button because my son thinks I'm cooler if I have more subs. Um, but I want to thank our, our sponsors also, Mr. Chris Noggle uh, with Private Money Club and with Money School. This guy is changing generational uh, thought process about the way that we deal with money and uh, taking control back into your family as opposed to giving it out to financial institutions. Also with Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas, Mr. Jim DiGiulio is always teaching us that it's not about the transactions, that it's about the relationships that will last a lifetime. And so I want to thank all of them. And I want to thank everyone listening and helping us to get in the top 1% globally as far as all podcasts. Uh, but now for the, for the real star, the champ is here. The actual champ is here. I started, I started talking with him this morning. I was joking with him. And then he was like, you can say anything. You can ask me anything, but don't speak bad about my wife. And I won't do that today because I, 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 watch, him, I watch him on Instagram. Uh, I watch him and I've heard of him through one of my friends, Mark Willis. Shout out to him. And uh, this man is really changing the way that men think about being men. He gave 
gave me some advice before we started the show. I'm not going to say what he said, but he's going to say it later. Um, th- it's, it's incredible to see this this resurgence of, of men being men and getting back to that aspect, but not only uh, uh, having a, a strong exterior, but having a soft center and having that heart uh, that, that leads everything. This is a, a man who, he, he, he said this, I didn't say this, but I've never used this word in my life, but he said that he sired four, four daughters. He married his absolute dream woman. He's a licensed psychotherapist in uh, the state of Florida, and he does uh, retreats that if you're following, check him out on Instagram, Primal Virtues, or you could go to his website at thrive with two eyes and then dot co because he's cool. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Jonathan Rios. Hey, man, good to be here. I'm excited. Well, it's exciting to ha- be able to have you here, man. Uh, my friend Mark Willis told me about you. He went on one of one of the retreats. Break down the retreat because I tell you, every man, the, the tough thing is there's going to be a lot of people out there that are listening, and they're going to hear about primal virtues, and you keep it intimate. So there's going to be a lot of people that are mad at you because they're going to have to get on the wait list because you only allow a certain amount of people to come. But take us through that experience of what you've been able to create. Sure, man. Well, uh, just to paint the picture, I wanted to create something that I would want to go to, right? And um, I I tend to think most male retreats are cheesy or they're either rah-rah, hardcore, Navy SEAL beatdown, or it's super soft kumbaya, sit in a circle and talk about your feelings. And I figured maybe there was a sweet spot between those two mediums. And so uh, there is, it's set in the mountain range in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, It's competitive. So I I split the men into two different squads and they compete all weekend. And uh, we're teaching hard skills like basic survival uh, 101. We're also delving into confidence and identity, mental toughness, facing fear. Uh, We're doing it all within an epic mountain range. So you're summiting mountains together. You're overcoming challenges and obstacles. We're staying at a lodge together. But the the overall idea was I wanted guys to come in and walk away knowing in their bones they have what it takes and they have brothers that they've now that that they've now bonded with through adversity and challenge that they can lean on. And and there's guys from all over the country. Uh, And I usually bring in at least two other instructors, one of which is typically a professional musician. So we we have some quality music that we round out the day with and. Uh, good food, man. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty intense environment. It's, I, I hesitate. I don't call it a retreat because you walk away physically exhausted, but your soul is rejuvenated. Wow. So it's a little bit different. How can a person get involved? Because I, I already feel people lining up right now and being like, like for myself, like I, I want to come, but I, I mean, I, I might go out a little soft, you know what I'm saying? Like I want to come and I, I, you know, but how could a person get involved with this, Jonathan? Yeah, so there's, I just, I put, I ask people to just answer some basic questions. They email me, and the, the, the basic questions are, you know, why do you want to attend? Like, what's your, what are you about? Who are you, basically? Uh, do you have any major medical issues that would put you or your teammate in a hazardous position on, on a mountain? And then uh, lastly, uh, I do require that guys have a base minimum fitness requirement. That, so the basic fitness requirement is be able to run two miles 
and complete 100 squats in under 24 minutes. So it gives guys, if guys decide they want to come, they have X amount of months to get ready. So it gives them something to shoot for. So if you can't do that now, then you train for it so that you can do it by the time you arrive at the primal course. So that's it, man. And, you know, I, I pray on it, bro. I'm always very sensitive to, is this the right guy for this, for this round? And um, that's, that's, the, that's the basic. Well, talk to me too, uh, Jonathan, about this push and pull marketing, because it's a, a completely different realm when you know what, what, what you want as opposed to just tossing it out there. Like push marketing is, I'm going to get in front of every single person and everyone wants to, everyone wants to know. And then there's the pull marketing that you're doing that's like, no, this is what I do. But you have to follow these parameters to be able to come and hang out. Why did you choose pull marketing as opposed to push marketing? Uh, probably, this is a good question. Probably because... I, I was blessed throughout my life to, I was always part of a, a masculine tribe. So I played for the Olympic development team growing up. And I also played division one soccer at a military academy. So there's the athletic component. Then there's the military training component. Then again, played overseas after that in an Irish tribe. <laughs> uh, so I've always been plugged in the tribes. And the thing about a tribe, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a tension between all are welcome, but we have certain standards and you must meet the standard to be part of this tribe. Otherwise you lose potency. So, uh, like as an example at, at VMI where I, where I trained with the army, the basic code for participation was a cadet will not lie, cheat or steal, nor tolerate those who do. So yeah, were there mandatory fitness requirements? Sure. But the main crux was it had to do with integrity. So if you can't if you can't maintain the integrity, you can't be part of the tribe. Other, what happens if you if you let if you if you drop your guard with integrity? The tribe it's no longer a tribe. It's it's a it's a group of people masquerading as a unit, but it's really just a facade. So I want to develop. Is there is there a way for us to have grace for people, but also hold each other to a to a measurable standard that elevates everybody? You know. As the tide rises, all ships rise. That's the idea. So you just said a word, uh, w which is grace. And a lot of times when you find the, the masculinity and things like that, there seems to not be a lot of grace in that situation because it's kind of like you either do it or you don't and we move on. But even more on the deeper side is how do you create grace and give grace to yourself in that, Jonathan? Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> I, look, I, I mean, my, my faith background, I, I didn't, I didn't really take God or faith serious till I was roughly about 23, 22 years old. And that, that went down at military school where no one was, no one gave a rip about your spirituality. Uh, so, um, that, that was kind of my birth into, uh, who is God and, and is, is Jesus the real deal? And, and so, um, man, I, I say, I kind of came to, to Christ in a rough, in a rough way. And so I understand what it's like to be in the throes of alcoholism and porn addiction. And, um, man, I was hitting every hard drug possible except for heroin. I never did heroin, but, um, yeah, man, just, just understand that for, for some, for some people, 
let's call it deliverance is instant. And for some people, it's a process. And even in my life, man, I've seen instant delivery from things. And then I've also, I've been working on stuff for years. So I understand that I, I need grace. You need grace. And yet, and yet, even in, as I say that, a lot of people go too far with that. And they, they lower the standards to such a degree that people aren't maxing out potential. It, it's, it, there really is, you know, if just study Jesus. He loved you, but he's like, bro, this is the way I'm going. This is how we do it. In this tribe, this is how we do it. Right? So it was, that's not how he said it. That's how I say it. But <laughs> that, that, that's the idea. So how does a person understand their full potential? Because I believe if people did and they acted according to it, we would probably live in a little bit different world, right? But what are, what are the first beginning steps of starting to understand what your potential is? Well, look at the word potential. Uh, it, it, sh it should trigger the idea of potent. Each one of us is uh, born with potency. Right, you in seeds that are implanted in you, uh, dreams, giftings, talents, anointings, abilities. But what what must happen to a an acorn in order for it to become that oak tree? It has to go underground. It has to go through a process, a forging process. Right, it goes underground. It's hidden. Nobody sees it. It's dark. It's dirty. It's messy. It's a process. Right, and if you just if you'll just stick with it. If you'll just stick with the forging process. Now, here's, here's where a lot of modern men don't get it. We live in an interesting time in human history where there is so much distraction, entertainment, luxury, comfort. I can order food to my front door in 10 minutes, right? I can get off this call and go take a hot shower. Boom. I'm at my fingertips. It's a time of decadence, which is decay through excessive comfort and luxury. And so what happens to a lot of modern men, because we live in this time, we don't realize how soft we've gotten. We don't realize our spirits have shriveled. We don't realize that we actually long for adventure. We long to manifest potential. But you cannot do that in the comfort zone. You have to be forged. You have to go through a process. Uh, and, and everybody has what it takes, but you won't really know that. You can't really know that you have what it takes until you've been tested and initiated. And so a lot of modern men, um, they, they weren't taught this. They, did, they don't know that they need testing. They don't know they need forging. They, they think because they had sex with their high school girlfriend or because they beat uh, Halo on Xbox 3 that that qualified them. Or that, and I would say, I'm not making fun of men, just saying, no, 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 no. There's a whole nother level to this masculinity thing. And um, it's available, but you have to go hunting for it. When does masculinity not work? Uh, can you clarify the question? When does it not work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think that there's sometimes there's techniques, right? Or there's things <clears throat> that sometimes run in. And this is just a, I don't know. But is there a time where masculinity doesn't work in the scenario? Well, I, I guess it depends on how you define masculinity. I, I would just boil it down to a base level of masculinity is, A, the eradication of childhood narcissism. You're putting away your, your childish ways, okay? When I became a man, I left behind 
my childish ways. That's one. And it is the glad acceptance of uh, sacrificial responsibility. So if you want to start measuring up in your masculinity, understand it's all about personal responsibility, uh, step, stepping away from those childhood fantasies and all those childhood behaviors that, that used to serve you but no longer serve you and no longer serve the community. If that, that, that's the baseline level. If you just start moving towards responsibility, right, in measured steps, you have now moved into masculine territory, right? Now there's more, there's more there. Like I, I do believe that there are some features to masculinity that we ought to aim for, such as being a provider, such as being a protector, such as being the kind of man that can go first and lead from the front, right? Um, a man that's in touch with courage and honor and virtue. I mean, th these are these are some of the things that I strive to live out and that, that have been de demonstrated for me by my father. My father is still alive. He's still, we're still very close. I'm, I'm like a unicorn. Most, most guys don't have a dad like that, right? So I, I've been watching this man do this for decades and it's, it's set a precedence for me that I'm, I'm striving for. So how does a person shed the childish part, but keep the childlike spirit? Ooh, I, that's a good one. I feel like that's a book title. Um, <laughs> how does... Hey, I've, I've got that trademarked already, Jonathan. And <laughs> so don't, don't even worry, man. But, but this is, this is a big part of it because, you know, when you, when you talk about, it, I think a lot of times and people, my, my wife always taught me this is people won't hear what you say. They won't see what you do. They only hear where they are at. And a lot of people are at a point where they're like, yo, I want to take on responsibility, but still want to have a good time while I'm doing it. How could I shed the childish because we need to do that as men, but keep right. the childlike because that's what, you know, you married your high school sweetheart. If you didn't keep a childlike uh, thought, which you do, you have that joy in you. If you didn't have that, you know, your wife would be like, where is he at? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, you know, I, I think you and I would both agree. Sometimes we can take ourselves a little too serious. Sometimes, sometimes we can think our opinion is the only one that matters. Sometimes we can think that our mission, our mission is the mission for the entire planet. And it's like, no, oh, Hey man, I, you know, other people have missions too and response and their, their life looks different. And so I get that. I think for me, man, um, one of the things that's helped me, and, and I don't know if this is a principle that can generalize to other people, but at a young age, I, I had a near-death experience. I almost killed my best friend in a car accident. And, and uh, he's actually visiting from Nashville right now. But, um, you know, I held his hand while he, he flatlined five times. He, uh, he was ejected from the vehicle and uh, broke his spine in three places. And um, anyways, I watched him bleed from his skull till the ambulance came and got him. And he survived, thank God. We're still best friends, uh, but what that does to you when you're when you're a teenager, when you're 16, 17 years old, you start to weigh the, brev the, the brevity of life and go, oh my God, this thing is really short, and this thing is fragile, and yet I haven't died yet, so let me make it count, right? So let me, dude, let me enjoy the ocean today. Let me enjoy my wife today. Let me enjoy this... I've got to do these invoice, this invoicing. Let me have a good attitude about this and not get too serious about it. Let me be a good steward. 
but also also realize life is calculated, life is short. If you have no, if you can't play, if you can't breathe, if if it's all business and and there's no sense of uh, childhood frivolity, then maybe you got to take a step back. Uh, and I would say people like that who are all business, they have a lot of stress, man. You know. So, I mean, I, I make it a point. Nature is a really big thing for me, man. That That's about one of the only things that helps me slide back into that play, relax mode. Um, played, so I still, I do jujitsu. That's a form of play. I play soccer, man. I climb mountains. I I surf poorly. I paddleboard. I free dive. You know, I, <laughs> these are all versions of play. And uh, yeah, man. So I guess you got to, your listeners just got to ask themselves, when was the last time I gave myself permission to be a kid and I let my foot off the gas so that I could, you know, I could recover a little bit. And I think you gotta, you gotta be intentional about that. When's the last time that, uh, that, that you, you talked about Jesus and how he talked to you and he, you said he talked to you a little bit different. And I, I love this part of it. And I love this part about you because you speak, about God in a way that a lot of people don't like a lot of times people tighten up when they talk about God. Every time you talk about Jesus or you talk about God, you're just like, yeah, this is what it is. When's the last time that, that, that God made you laugh because of a circumstance that he put in your life and you knew that he had a, uh, a, a sense of humor. I kind of want to, well, laughter made me think of joy and you know, like, I tend, when I'm feeling joy, I tend to laugh. Okay. Right. So, um, man, recently I just did a, uh, I, I did a three day ruck through the Everglades in swamp water and it was nuts. And, but there are pocket moments in there where you just under the sky and you're just tired and hungry and Florida heat and just want to be at home. And, uh, but just see, just in the wilderness, in beauty and just feeling deep joy provoked laughter and and just a sense of gratitude so um man but then other times it's simple stuff like my kids doing something dumb like a you know like like yeah bro here's one yesterday we have a one a one-year-old puppy her name's kona and i don't know if you're if you have dogs but with our dogs for some reason they have this anal gland thing that causes a nasty smell have you ever seen that it's disgusting well you have to express it Apparently, oh. so, I, so basically, you have to squeeze the gland with like, tissue, and like this nasty butt juice is what we call it comes out. But this is graphic. But anyways, my kids are all surrounded. <laughs> We're holding the dog. I'm having like express this thing. We're all laughing because it smells so bad. My dog has no idea what we're doing to her. But dumb stuff like that, man. It's like I don't know, man. I, I think sometimes we 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 run past that stuff, and that that might be a memory that I'll never forget. <laughs> The reason why I was asking you too, because the other day I was on the beach and I, I was spending some time with the Lord and he expressly told me to walk up the rocks a certain way. And, and he was like, walk up this way. And it was the easy way. And I looked at it and I was like, there's a steeper way. And I was like, I'm a man, Lord, I'm going to do this. And then I walked up and there was people walking down the stairs. There was like a family and dude, I ate it like ate it, like the rock slipped, <laughs> I fell on my face, and then I was so embarrassed, I popped up, like, you know, when you pop up, when you fall, and you want to act like it was the rock's fault, that's how my dad used to do it, and I looked, and, and it was, God was like, 
I told you, man, like I told you. And then I had to do that to you because I told you. So I want to go into this part because it's amazing how I think how God works too, where he takes a, a man who whose mission is to bring masculinity, show that, and then he bang blesses you with four girls. What of your what of your four girls and five girls with your with your beautiful wife, what have they taught you about masculinity? Mm. Well, you know, I don't if memory serves me right. I don't really recall ever having that that urge or that drive to be a protector. It was when we started having children. It was when I got married. Then I was like, man, somebody's leaning on me. And and that actually, it, it, it's like it flipped a switch where also that, that provider drive came on. Because as a single guy, man, I was happy riding motorcycles and eating rice and beans and living on somebody's couch. Like I, I didn't care. <laughs> You know, not, 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 that's not everybody, but that was me. And yeah, so I think getting married triggered that provider, having kids triggered their protector in me. And, and that's still very strong, especially in the, the time that we're living with the amount of, uh, the amount of gross dysfunction in society and perversion, man, I'm on, I'm on, I'm always on my A game with, when it comes to how we do we're very careful with who we let our children hang out with in terms of sleepovers. And we're just on top of stuff like that. And, you know, um, so yeah, I would say that's really changed me. And then man, honestly, like you can't, I don't have boys, but you can't necessarily talk to little girls like you talk to little boys. Right. So <laughs> I have to, I have to be very cautious and man, I'm not perfect, bro. Like I, I have to be cautious about my tone with my kids and I have to be cautious with, how I leave things at night before bedtime, you know, like I got a, like last night, one of my kids was being obnoxious and, you know, you get annoyed and I'm trying to just maintain self-restraint and like kind of not show her that, that dad is frustrated and, and just try to be patient. And, you know, I've come a long way, man. Cause that, that's not how I used to be. So let's go back to young Jonathan, because you talked about earlier about your pop, and you guys' uh, relationship and how that's a unicorn. But earlier you talked about drug abuse, alcohol abuse, things like that. So I've been constantly looking for the holy grail. And if you've got it, I'd love it. <laughs> Which is, I, I watch and I see amazing parents and uh, their kids a lot of times go down maybe a wrong road. And then I see parents that maybe weren't there and weren't connected and stuff like that. And then I see the kids that are just unbelievable. And then I see great parents who have great kids. And then I have, you know, you go, then I see, you know, horrible parents that have horrible kids. And I'm like, so where's the Holy grail? Is there a course that I could take? Is there a three day, you know, challenge that I could take with you so I can become the father that my kids will end up doing the right thing. How is it that you had the father that you did and you ended up going down the road that you did? Uh, well, one thing my dad was very careful about was he grew up with a, he grew up under our, his father was a Marine and he was just, he was just very stubborn and my grandfather's still alive. I don't really have a great relationship with him. Not cause I hate him. Just, he's just been absent. And, but you know, they didn't really have much of a relationship and he was very strict on my dad. So my dad was very gracious with me. 
You know, I, I remember coming home one day being drunk and high and thinking that I had got past my dad without him noticing. Now I realize he knew, <laughs> right? But, but he was gracious, man. He was like, gave me a hug. I love you, man. Get some sleep. And, and, but he was fair. Like I got disciplined and he wasn't, he wasn't soft by any means. Uh, but he just, man, my dad kind of met me where I was really. And I think that that was very helpful. He demonstrated his, his faith uh, through, through functional, active, external behaviors. He, he demonstrated that. Uh, but, but I think realistically, one of the things my parents were really good at was pushing back on us and going, do you like, we're going to let you make the decision on this. What do you, th you think that's wise? Do, do you see, is there another route that you could take? And there was a, they, they kind of pushed us into responsibility. And that's something we try to do with our kids. But I will say this, man, like my, my sister, I have three sisters. She went to prison for, I think she, her total sentence was a little over three years, give or take. Um, and uh, she was in, in a gang and, and armed robbery and stuff like that. And same parents. I went the other way, went to military Academy and tried to seek honor and virtue. And um, I, maybe I just didn't get caught with some of the bad stuff I did, but um yeah, man. So I, but it's funny because now all of my sisters were all married and and uh, a lot of business owners and and we are, we're all get we all get along. So love our parents. So yeah, man. I, I think um, we we have we have beauty, but we also have brokenness in my family line. So let's talk about the from, from the psychotherapist uh, standpoint because. There's what we were talking about in our men's group on Tuesday was the dimmer switch, right? Most of the time uh, in, in life, the, the dimmer switch goes and it goes at a very s slow rate and you don't realize that you're in the dark until you're actually in the dark. It's like the, the frog in the, the, with the, with the, in the pot that boils, right? It sits in there yeah. because it doesn't notice the difference. The dimmer switch happens with so many different things, whether it be gateway, you've talked about alcohol. You said that you did every drug except heroin. So did you do crack? Yes. Okay. Now, before you smoked crack, were you like, I don't know if I should smoke crack because when someone says, are you smoking crack, then you would have to say yes. Because that used to be a joke in our age group. It used to be like, what, are you smoking crack? That was a joke that would be said to you, like, you're a crackhead. Like, that's the reason why, Jonathan, I didn't smoke crack is because I was like, damn, I'd have to say yes to that joke. Right? So, yeah. But from the psychotherapist side... What are the, the beginnings of the dimmer switch that most people aren't aware of that if they became aware of, they wouldn't go down that road that would end up with, you know, mass destruction in their family or even in their personal life? Uh, well, related to addiction, I think an enormous amount of people don't realize curiosity kills the cat. Mm -hmm. So if you have not cultivated a level of self-discipline and if you really lack a mission or a goal, even as a young adult, you're way more susceptible. Uh, and like, for example, if you haven't, if you haven't cultivated self-restraint, if you don't have like set certain standards for yourself, like you had a standard, like, yo, I, I might smoke pot, but I don't, I don't smoke crack. Like you have, <laughs> your standards, you know, you had a level of a stand, standard there. Mine was I just did. a joke though. Mine, mine was a joke as a kid, seriously. Like, and I remember meeting my first friend 
that we were talking and I asked him, I said, I was like, we were just talking about drugs and, you know, stuff like that. And I said, what have you done? And he said, there are a couple things. And I was like, have you ever smoked crack? And he said, yes. And I was like, dude, I never wanted to because I didn't want to have to say yes to that joke that all my friends would say. That was the only, so I didn't have this virtuous discipline like you, Jonathan, but what can, how can a person maybe develop that or, you know, and I interrupted you. I apologize about that, man. No, that's good, man. Well, I, just uh, having worked with addicts for many years, you, you tend to see basically two poles. And by the way, think of addiction as a continuum. So there, you know, you might mild, moderate, severe, right? So there's some, somebody who drinks a glass of wine might be on the far end of the mild spectrum, right? So, but then you got the guy who's five bottles a night, right? So, but what you see with most people that are stuck in some form of substance abuse, it's, uh, Hey, had a great day at the office. I want to celebrate and make the day better. So they, they go use their substance or man, I had a horrible day today. I'm feeling bored and I think I want to hit something so that I don't feel discomfort. Those tend to be the poles. And then eventually once the body gets used to the substance, you're going to you don't need an excuse. It's now you're just, you've developed a habit, right? So going back, if you, for people that pick up at an early age, whatever the addiction might be. Um, man, I, I tend to think like, I was, I was just talking to a buddy about this. He took a group of young adults, young adult males to South America and they, they, they were built they were building houses for orphans or something like that. And I remember he said on the flight over, they were all discussing all their sexual hangups. Right. And then, so they were being open about that. And, and then they go down there and they just, they build all week and they're like feeding hungry people and. They're around the campfire and then they do a debrief at the, at the end. And he's like, Hey, I'm curious. Did any of you guys think about your sexual hangups at all this week? And they're all like, dude, it wasn't even on my radar. And what you had was you had a bunch of dudes with a strong mission, right? So when, when you, when, when a male, I could, I'm a dude, I can't necessarily talk to females on this front, but dudes without a strong standard, a strong mission tend to go off trail and tend to experiment in things that will derail them from their potential and from their, their mission. Uh, so that, that, that's a huge component. And a lot of men currently really don't have that. How do you keep a man from getting addicted like they would to the uh, substance to the actual mission? Hmm. Well, you know, one, one thing I like to tell people, like I wasn't, I don't know about you, man, but I wasn't the kind of guy, you know, I, I occasionally meet people, they're six years old. They're like, I know I want to be a firefighter. And then they grow up to be a firefighter. <laughs> and you're like, dude, this kid, I wish I was like that. That was not the case for me. All I knew was I wanted adventure. I wanted like high risk, high level. What don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go and do that because the world needs more people that have come alive. So that was kind of my driving force in my life, right? Um, So I I just tried all kinds of things and I was playing soccer, trying to, you know, make it big. And I I played at a high level, but I didn't make good money. Uh, But that that was part of the adventure, but also going overseas by myself. Man, I had a weird desire to be a, I wanted to be a waiter. I was like, yo, I really want to be a waiter. So I tried that for a while. I tried everything under the book. I built log cabins. The reason I'm saying all this is a lot of guys haven't gone hunting for their mission. They're waiting for their mission to fall in their lap. 
They're waiting for like somebody to hand them a book that's going to tell them what their mission is. They're waiting from an audible from God. Here's your mission. And it's like, I don't think that's how it works for most people. I think we have to be courageous enough to go try stuff, take some calculated risks, ask yourself what makes you come alive and go expose yourself to it. And it's probably going to trigger fear. So you need to be, you need to look yourself in the mirror and go, what are my fears? And, and, and then start to hunt those down, proactively hunt down your fears. And my suspicion is as you hunt, this is, don't miss this. As you hunt down your fears and as you seek out raw adventure, and you're also maintaining a level of responsibility, right? So I said calculated risk, not dumb risk. As you're doing that, you're developing and you're growing. And as you develop and you grow, you tend to run into the right tribe. You tend to run into the right trail. And if you're humble, God is guiding you. If you're proud, God will resist you. If your ego is swole, if your ego is swollen and you don't need anybody and you don't need anybody's counsel and you don't need any, you don't need a tribe, then my friend, you will have a very difficult time landing on a transcendent mission that makes you come alive. Because it's my, it's my opinion. God is the great architect. Uh, if you're going to find out what your function is, you have to deal with the architect. If you're not willing to deal with the architect, then you're going you're gonna to be on a treadmill trying to figure out what your purpose is, what you were created for, and it's going to get, you're going to get really confused and really disillusioned. So, Jonathan, like, what do you fear? I fear being cowardly when courage is needed. I fear that I won't go the distance with my marriage or with my kids or even with my faith. You know, like anybody can start who can finish. So I'm always I'm always kind of waking up with that mindset like, okay, well, most people don't just drop off the deep end. It's usually a slow progression. It's usually a uh, like a the current takes you out slowly, right? You were zealous, you did have passion, but over time it waxes and it wanes. And so, your passion and your dream and your faith and your marriage—it's they're all unique fires, and you have to feed the fire every day, or it's going to go out. When was the last time that your faith was tested? Man, I would say the last two years, bro. I mean, I, I, I can't say I've ever gotten to a point where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> but I, but I, have, I have wrestled with long seasons of uh, doubt and long seasons of, let's call it, felt apathy. It's like, man, like shaking that off and, and, and am I really hearing God and am I on the right trail and just second guessing yourself and second guessing that you're really hearing God, which, which makes you, if you're not careful, makes you question the goodness of God. So, uh, yeah, man. And then, you know, I, one thing that really hit me real, real hard over the last couple of years is just watching people that I love flake out, you know, like whether they flake out on their marriage or their faith or, even their dreams, it's like, bro, 
You just got taken out. You don't even see it. And that hits, that hurts, man. Watching people you love go through a divorce hurts bad. You know? So those tested me. How can you help people to not judge God on man's inconsistencies? Well, I don't want to give a trite answer on that. I, if you can hear it, um, if you could, if you could like open your heart and hear it, if you walked into a bar later tonight and a guy was playing, uh, you two really badly from stage, you, you, and you went, man, you two sucks. Cause this guy sucks. I think we lost Jonathan there for a second, um, but it's amazing to be able to hear his thought process on you too. I never thought about it that way. I never thought about it in that type of uh, scenario as far as <clears throat> it gives a, a perspective that I've never really looked at. And it's amazing, amazing to, to think about the fact that if you walked into a bar, you two well, a cover band is playing U2. They were playing the uh, song Bad. I mean, how, like, how can you judge the band on, you know, a replica? And so it helps me in that, uh, that sense. And it's amazing to be able to have the conversation with Jonathan. And for me, too, I think one of the coolest things is with Mark, uh, Mark Willis, who told me about Jonathan and told me about the two days and going through, or actually the three days uh, that, that he got a chance to be able to connect with Jonathan and go on this, uh, this, I called it a retreat. I apologize about that. Um, but it's amazing to be able to see and how many times do we as individuals have the tendency to judge God, right? Or judge a situation on the way a person is acting. And this was probably one of the biggest things for me um, with my, with my pop. Because my pop would always ask me, if you got a million dollars tomorrow, if you got a million dollars and when you got the million dollars, you wouldn't be thanking the mailman jumping up and down. You would be thanking the person who sent it to you. And so it's amazing because Jonathan, like, and now we have Jonathan back with us, but it's amazing because what I was just what I was just talking about is that you hit on a on a nerve, Jonathan, that was so massive because there's so many people that judge God on man's inconsistencies, and I mean when you were talking about you too, that's I mean it's mind blowing. I never really thought about it that way, man. Tell me more about that mentality and how you were able to you know gain that type of perspective. Well. There's an old, there's an old verse that's, uh, that I guess I had an old mentor. He used to always say, he said, uh, I was, I was whining about somebody hurt, hurt my heart or hurt my feelings. And he was like, Hey, look, man, you're choosing to be offended. Like no one can make you be offended. You're choosing to be offended. You're hurt. You're hurt. And from that place of woundedness, you're now choosing to treat that person a particular way or think about that person in a particular way. Cause a wound a wound did happen. So you don't want to fake, you don't want to pretend that that didn't happen. A death happened, job loss happened, whatever, divorce happened, whatever the case. And wounds will come in this life. But Jesus, there's an old text where Jesus said, um, blessed 
Blessed is he who is not offended in me. So wounds will come. Hard times will come. If you can see through it and under, and not get offended with me, uh, you'll you'll be okay. You'll make it. The the key is to to be unoffendable. Whether that my wife and I, um, one of our daughters was a twin. And we lost we lost the twin. And and uh, that was very difficult. And, and grief hap- grief comes and wounds come and we had a choice to make. Uh, and so, some people like what you believe matters. If your belief is God, God did this to me, took my baby, and and God, then God is not good. You come to conclusions, and if those are your conclusions, it's going to affect it's going to affect how you how you move forward in your faith. And and a lot of people end up getting resentful and bitter and wounded, and, and they never get healing. And I just we just chose to not go down that route and. I'm not knocking people, man. People have been way through way more than I have. People, lots of suffering is real, bro. Right. But I think we have to look ourselves in the mirror and go, am I wounded? The answer, yeah, the answer is yes, I'm wounded. Am I holding, am I holding on to offense? Am I bitter about this? Am I resentful? Am I holding this against God? Am I holding this against Billy Bob, my neighbor? Right. And, um, there's a lot I could say on on that particular issue, but I think that the end answer might be when wounds come, we have a choice of whether or not we hold on to the offense. And, and, and it's a process, and I'm not saying it's easy, but it's your job. It's your job to actively seek your healing because whatever pain you don't transform, you're going to transmit to other people. How do you how do you learn how to forgive? Because there's things that you go through and, you know, whether it be through parents or, you know, uncles, aunts, friends, all those things, or even in business, what are the steps, like the practical steps to forgive? Yeah. Have your listeners write this down. This is, we, 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 over, we overthink this one. We complicate it. Forgiveness Here's a simple three-step process that you can begin. I do this all the time because I made a decision a while ago. I'm not going to be offended with people, no matter what they do. I, life is short. I don't have the time for it. So here's what here's what I do. The event happened. Um, what, I'll pick on you, Kelly. Kelly uh, stole my girlfriend. Okay, um, I, I'm very hurt about that. And and we were bros. We were best friends. But he stole my girlfriend. I'm really wounded and feeling betrayed. Okay, so I write the event down. Kelly stole my girlfriend and I found them at the movies together. Okay. <laughs> so that's the event. Then I, I, I identify what I'm feeling about it. Okay. I'm feeling disgusted. I'm feeling super sad. I'm feeling despair and hopeless. I'm feeling rage and anger. Okay. So you're identifying and you're owning what you're feeling. Yeah, he did. He said X, Y, and Z, and he did A, B, and C. And you just get real clear on what he, what, what they did, and and how you felt about it. So then, the third part is, you make a declaration. And it might it might be something like this, of my own volition and free will, I voluntarily choose 
not to hold this against Kelly. I release Kelly from any sense of vengeance. This doesn't mean I want to be best friends with Kelly. This doesn't necessarily mean we're going to reconcile, but I choose to not hold offense against him. I choose to not let this moment, this event, govern me as I move forward. And I release them. It's not my job to judge him. That's someone else's job. But I release him and I choose to have grace. Now, I write that down and then I say it out loud. No one needs to know I'm doing this. I can forgive you without you even asking for it, without you needing, without you ever knowing that I forgave you. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. Reconciliation is when we both want to work on the relationship. Wow. But that, that severance, what you did to me there, Kelly, still my girlfriend, we may never reconcile over that. But I can forgive you and not hold resentment against you and, and not harbor that against you. And then I'm free. Right? So I, I'm, I'm making it sound simple because it is, the process is simple. But sometimes you have to kind of hold fast to that declaration. You make the volitional choice first. The emotions may come later. But I'm not basing this on my emotions. I'm basing it on there's life and death in the tongue. I'm basing it on, I've made a conscious decision. This is the way I'm going to live, right? And in, and I had I won't tell you all the details, but I did this with someone. It had been a five-year ordeal. And it was like pretty gnarly, bro. And it had been really messing with me. I finally got to a place of forgiveness. I, once I forgave this man, he died four months later. And I was able to go to his funeral and feed his wife. And it was like, I'm so glad I had nothing against him. When he died, I was grieved. Wow. Before, there, I probably would have been happy. Is there anyone in your life and in your sphere that you haven't forgiven? No. You are a superhero. Well... I'm just conscious of it because, <laughs> because I don't want to be that bitter guy that nobody wants to hang out with. Right? Not even one. Not even one. Like somebody cut you off in traffic and you're like, I'll just not forgive you because I'll never see you again. I try to, I try to be a quick, I mean, I, you should see my journal. Like, I, I mean, yeah, offenses are going to come. They're going <laughs> to happen. But I try to go, look, man, I just don't, I don't want this. I don't want this hooking me, man. I got stuff to do. I love it, man. So <clears throat> how does how does a Jonathan stay joyous and praising even in the midst of chaos and when bad things happen? How do I stay joy? How do, how do we stay joyful in the midst of chaos and the chaos of this life? Well, and not even just joyous, but also like praising. Cause you, you mentioned that earlier. I mean, you, you mentioned through and you know, about losing, losing a daughter, right. And losing a daughter and you spoke about it, but you spoke about it with grace. You spoke about it with praise and it didn't, it didn't, I mean, it obviously it impacts you and it impacts your wife and you know, but there's so many times where it's easy to praise when all the money bags are coming to you and the, the, uh, you know, the, the, I was just about to call it a retreat, but I don't want you to choke me out. 
um, <laughs> the, the three-day immersive experience that no, uh, the only 12 of you are going to be able to go on, that a lot of you are going to be mad because you're going to try and sign up, and Jonathan's going to be like, you can't go because you couldn't do 100 burpees in uh, 24 minutes. So, um, but when I, when I get accepted to go to Primal Virtues, I'm like, yes, I'm praising but when he calls me and is like, yo, bro, you need to work out a little bit more. How do I stay praising in that scenario? Hmm. Well, okay. I think it'd be easier to look at it this, this way. You have, you have kids, right, Kelly? Yes, sir. Yeah. So um, when your kids are little and they wake you up because they want breakfast and you didn't get much sleep the night before, you don't feel like getting out of bed to make breakfast. You're like, bro, just give me another hour of sleep here, right? You're like, I don't give a rip that my kid is hungry. I want to sleep. Well, no, you get out of bed and you feed your kid. It, it, it wasn't based on this rapturous feeling. It was based on you, had, you have a responsibility and a, a sense of obligation to your child because you love, at a deep level, you love your child. But out of that love, you act, right? So... I don't think we should respond to God based on our feelings. I think we should respond to God based on the fact that God is fundamentally good, right? And based on the fact that I've got breath in my lungs. And whether I've, I've won the Powerball or not, I have, a, in a sense, an obligation to the Creator to honor the Creator with my life and my words and my talents and my abilities, uh, with even the conversation we're having now. And, and I think in a sense, all of life becomes worship if you do it right, right? Wow. It becomes it becomes praise. It's like, dude, I mean, watching a carpenter, watching a carpenter, a skilled carpenter work with wood and just craft a table, it's like beautiful. That's worship, man. That's praise. It's like we don't, sometimes we don't categorize things like that. We categorize it like singing a song only. And I just think that, there's a guy right now, a lumberjack in the middle of Alaska, who's chopping trees down with all of his strength and might. And he's, he's using his strength in a form of active stewardship and management and worship. And to God, that's as good as the guy who's, who's playing Beethoven perfectly, right? So I think sometimes we just gotta reframe it like, I don't necessarily, for me, man, like I'm, I'm not a musician. I don't, I'm tone deaf. That's not necessarily how I, how I worship God a lot. Right. But I worship God in the wild. That's kind of like on a mountaintop or diving down with sea turtles or on a long distance run. I mean, so everybody's got a unique way and, and don't, don't be confused. Like a lot of the people that are listening, they think that they're, they're not good at this. I'm like, look, just honor God with your talents and your skills and your abilities and your words and your life and your life becomes a living sacrifice. Jonathan, how do you help the person to break the stigma that God is this dude in a suit with really bad cologne? Cause that's how a growing up pastor has always had bad cologne. <laughs> they had really cheap suits. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like the snake skins kind of shiny suit, depending on where you went, or they, I mean, it was, they, they spoke in these, these terms that you didn't understand and they weren't cool and you didn't really want to hang out with them. And like, how do we break that stigma? Because for me, like 
for me, God is not this, you know, um, I'm over. It's like, now we're rolling together. Like my dad, I remember he came down from the uh, top of the garage one time. We had a loft up there and he came down he was like, I said, what you doing, Poppy? He's like, I was yelling at God. And I was like, well, you better watch out because the house is about to burn down. And he was like, no, son, like, it's okay to question God. I mean, it's to have a conversation. He wants to have a relationship with you. How can we break that stigma for a person who maybe has had that all their life, and then you you start talking God talk, a lot of times people shut down because of that, right? And they think, mm-hmm. no, 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 that's not the way. But how, what's, what, what can we do to kind of break that stigma? Well, man, it's interesting because, you know, you talk to 10, you line up 10 people and go, well, how did you, how did you like find God or how did God find you? And they're all, everybody's got a different story, right? It's not like this one, two, three step process. I, my personal story is I didn't, I don't feel like I went hunting for God. I feel like God crash landed into my life and I was not actively looking for it. I was actively using drugs and sleeping around. So that I wasn't, but then I hit a moment of desperation, Mm. tragedy, a moment of a pivot point where it's like, bro, I'm suddenly desperate. And it's so often the case that a lot of us, we don't actually take God serious until we get that. Oh shit moment. And it's, you know, it's like they say, like, everybody's an atheist till you're in the trenches of war. And then all of a sudden you're like, dude, maybe I should say a prayer here. You know, and and that was the case for me, you know. So I would say, what if, what if you didn't have to wait for tragedy? What if you didn't have to wait for that oh shit moment? What if you got alone and just started to have graphic, graphic conversation with God? If you're pissed off, you're pissed off. If you're resentful, you're resentful. If you're doubtful, you're doubtful. But at least be honest. And don't you're not posting this on social media. This is you and God. One-on-one, right? And I think God's a big boy. I think he can handle it. Um, and what I think what most of us are going to find is, I, I, I firmly believe, God is real, I firmly believe, uh, I will, I will, this body will pass and I will spend eternity with God. And I think I'm going to stand in front of God and he's going to be a lot better than I thought he was. I think I'm going to be pleasantly shocked at how badly I misconstrued God. There's a verse in the scripture that says, God is good and everything he does is good. Everything he does. But we live on a fractured planet. We live on a, on a broken, in a broken system where people die prematurely and and, and babies die and people get raped and people die of cancer and, and people lose jobs. And it's this world on, in this world at war and we misinterpret. We don't understand it. Listen, uh, oh my gosh, don't miss this. Imagine Kelly, imagine you and I, I was like, Kelly, bro, you need a vacation. I'm taking you to my villa in France on the beach. And, and I'm like, to bring your family and just, it's, I just want you to take a week and just veg out and re- get recover. So after two days, you've got your feet propped up. You're looking over at the coast. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're, you're in the living room and you start to hear bullets and bombs go off. And you open the front door. And it turns out there's dead bodies everywhere. And it turns out it's 1944. It's D-Day. And you're on Normandy Beach in France. And you have a choice in that moment. Uh, either you shut the door and you go back to your coffee and pretend like it's not happening. You didn't ask for it. 
You just ended up there. Or you, you leave the front porch and you join the war effort and try to save some bodies, right? And the, the truth is we were all been born into a world at war, spiritually and physically. And there's good and there's real evil. And a lot of the bad shit that happens to you had nothing to do with God. It is a world at war and you are, you were a casualty, right? It doesn't mean God's not good. It means you're in a war. And unless you wake up to the reality of battle, spiritually and physically, if, unless you wake up to that, you will continue to be a casualty and you'll probably blame God for it, but you got to take the blinders off and realize there is reality. There is truth. There is veritas. And the truth is, um, God is good. You live on a fractured planet. God has a way for you, but you can only find that way once you connect with God and God can handle your BS. He can handle your junk, man. A lot of people think they got to get cleaned up before they come to God. That's not the way it works, bro. It ain't going to work like that. Ain't gonna, that ain't going to work. Try it. You try it. It's not going to work. <laughs> so Jonathan, paint the picture to us when you were saying like, you know, when you're drinking, you're doing drugs, you're, you know, you're uh, going out with a girl, but you know, I already stole your girlfriend. So we talked about that earlier. Um, but you're going through that and you say you have a, a moment of desperation. Paint that picture for us and take us to that area. Like even to the point of what, you, what you're wearing, where are you at? <clears throat> when does this moment happen? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm in, I'm in military academy and uh, I'm dating a girl and the goal is to graduate and get married to this girl. And for the first time in my life, I was in love. And I, 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 at this point I was told I was going to lose my scholarship because my grades were so poor. And so I was like, I got to lock it in and take, take this serious, which meant I had to taper off drugs so I could be sober and, and focus. So I, I got off everything alcohol included. I was clean for about two weeks at this point. So I could, so I could make the grades and not lose my soccer scholarship and not get kicked out. Well, so I go to, I'm closing my books one night at 3am and I have this, what I say is a vision. I, and I don't, I'm not, I can't say I've had many since, but I had this vision. It was like looking at a 4k image screen of my girlfriend, my quote unquote, to be fiance cheating on me with another dude. And I'm watching it happen. And it was like so real that I knew it was real. And I immediately got a hold of a phone and I called her at 3 a.m. And she's wide awake. And I was like, hey, uh, now let's call her Tiffany. I was like, Tiffany. I said, I don't know how to explain it, but I just saw you. Did you just cheat on me? And she says, she goes quiet for like 10 seconds. She starts crying. She's like, how did you know? And I was, I was, I didn't say anything. I just put the phone down and just started weeping because I knew it was real. Like I knew it was true. I knew it had just happened. And I was in that moment, man, like I, it was, you know, you've been, you've been heartbroken before. It was it's like a sledgehammer to my chest. I started, I didn't realize what was happening, but I started having a panic attack and I'm weeping and you know, you don't cry at military school, by the way. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to like, you know, keep it in, but you can't. And, uh, and all my roommates are asleep. And I, I rolled over on my back and I said, I said, Jesus, if you're real, I need help. Like right now, I feel like I'm going to die. And if you've ever had a panic attack, a lot of people think you feel like you're dying. 
And um, and I remember tears rolling down my face and I paused. I remember growing up as a kid, I would close my door and be like, all right, God, if you're real, you have 10 seconds to speak to me. And if you're real, you'll speak in an audible voice and I'll hear you. And then nothing would happen. I'd be like, see, God, maybe God's not real. So I tried that before, like, God, I need, I need some proof. Well, here I am now, 20, 22 years old. This happens. And I say, Jesus, if you're real, I need help. Like right now, I feel like I'm going to die. And like two seconds later, this presence came into the room to my right. There's a, it's a dark room, but there's a computer screen to my right. And there's, I could see this. I say presence. I could see like a, an image of, I don't know, man, just a, like almost like, not, not a fog, but something like that coming over me. And as it got closer, my temperature, my body temperature went up like 20 degrees and electricity started coming over me from head to toe. And it was like this presence came on top of me and pushed me down into the bed and held me there. And it was like waves and waves of liquid peace is what I call it. And electricity and heat and peace and electricity and heat and peace. And it was like a 10,000 pound boulder was on top of me. I couldn't move, but I wasn't afraid. I was peaceful. I went from panic to peace. And then it kept getting stronger. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And I'm completely sober. I've not been on anything. I've just, I just closed my psychology book and, and I'm in my mind going, what is this? And I don't want this to leave because I know I'm heartbroken, but right now I feel peace. So this goes on for about half an hour. And I went from panic to peace to such a level that now I'm sleepy. Now I'm like, dude, I'm so at peace. I'm about to fall asleep. And I remember thinking, I hope this doesn't leave. Well, I woke up the next morning, just a couple hours later, opened my eyes and the electricity's gone, the heat's gone, the weight is gone, but the peace was still in the room, not just in me, it was like all around me. And I remember going, Oh shit. It's, I called it it. I was like, it's still here. So then I got up, put on my uniform, went out, saluted the flag and something shifted in me where I, I knew two things. Everything's going to be okay. And God is real. And I prayed to Jesus and there was a response. But from that moment forward, something else happened. All my desire for hard drugs just died. Like completely died. Like I just lost interest. People would come to me and be like, yo, we're going out. I'm like, I'm not, man, I'm good. I'm not really interested. And my, even my, my head coach walked out to me. He's like, what happened to you, man? Like something, something changed. And, I, and he said, did you find God or something? And I was like, I didn't say anything. I was like, I don't know. Maybe like I, I didn't have language. <laughs> I didn't have language, but I, I began to read the Bible. I began to like, I, I don't know, man. I just, something shifted in me where my desires began to change. And I wasn't, it wasn't like a concerted effort. It was like from the inside out. So that was my pivot point. So when you go through a God moment like that, and then you go into normal day, sometimes people could slip into, uh, you know, what some people refer to as a depression or whatever it is, because they've been so close to the power. And then they, then, then they're not experiencing like, cause you're not having a weight on you every night before you go to sleep. It would be nice. Cause you sleep real nice. You know what I'm saying? Right. How does a person deal 
when they've had an encounter, whether it be, and, and I'm even talking about from a psychotherapy uh, part of it, they have that in their career, like, bang, it happens. I get exactly what I want. I get the woman of my dreams. I, I have this life. I get the house. I get the car. And then there's moments without. How do they keep that, that you know, 50-pound pressure on top of them feeling when they're not going through it at the time? Yeah, well, I'll tell you how I do it. Um, I, gosh, there's so much I could say, but I, I'll, I grew up with a lot of weird paranormal stuff in my life. Turns out my whole mom, my mom's side was heavily involved in witchcraft, like blood sacrifices and crazy stuff. Yeah, so there's a lot I could say there, but I, I grew up with a lot of weird stuff. So I understand fundamentally what it is to feel torment and to feel, to experience true evil even as a kid. And so my under, my it's in my bones that this is a world at war, this is a battle. And you only win battles if you fight. You don't win battles on neutral. You don't win, you don't, you don't end up with the girl of your dreams and die at 99 years of age together by happenstance. It takes effort and you gotta, you gotta go to battle for it. You've gotta feed the fire of passion. You gotta feed that thing, man, right? So, um, it's the same with your faith. You, if you think that one and done is gonna is gonna work for you, if you think you know you 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 filled you you read your scriptures yesterday and you think that's that's gonna be okay for today, you think that's gonna last you through the years, it's like you're sorely mistaken, my friend. You must in war keep your head on straight, right? Uh, if you want to maintain your passion and your zeal for your business, feed the business. If you want to maintain um, your friendships with your brothers, you've got to actively, proactively, I'm still best friends with my best friend from 14. I'm 42 years old. We, we circle back with each other. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We check in with each other. We hang out. We schedule time. He lives in Nashville. I live in Jupiter. It's intentional, intentional, intentional. We feed that fire. Right. So, so it's no surprise that we're still friends. We forgive each other. We love each other. We push each other. We're still friends. It's not, it's not an accident. And people, people in today's age are too apathetic. They think that passion. Oh, this is a common one. I see at my practice. A couple comes in, they say, Oh, we fell out of love. I'm like, let me ask you a question. Have you guys, how have you been feeding the fire in your marriage? Do you go on dates? Do you spend money on each other? Do you spend quality time together? Do you listen to each other? Do you, no, you spend most of your time at work and she spends most of her time at the CrossFit gym. And it's like, no, you don't feed your fire. It's a, you, you slowly faded. That's what happened. The fire slowly trickled because you faded. You didn't go to war for it. So that's my, that's how we maintain the zeal and the passion. It, it's on purpose. How do you keep from like in a, when we're talking about marriage, how does a husband keep from making the routine? Right. So I heard a guy say the other day, he was like, you know, if you want to make your marriage better, um, get a hold of a florist, uh, ladies out there, just turn the, uh, uh the speaker down real quick, but to the guys, <laughs> turn it up, uh, call the florist, uh, leave your credit card there, have them send it at no, uh, random times during the week, not always the same, but send a flower, whatever it is. And they check the box, right? They check the box of the thing that they were to do. 
how do you help people to not just check the box and have their heart in it? Because that takes effort. That takes time. And a lot of times people are like, no, no, no. I just want like a quick app that I can do it and then she'll be fine. Yeah. Well, maybe think of it like this. Um, you have needs and your girl has needs. And if you don't help her meet her needs, sorry, if you don't help her meet her needs, she's going to find a way to meet those needs. And it's usually going to be sideways. And you have the honor, you have the honor of helping her meet her needs. That is your honor and your duty. So you need to take your duty seriously. Right. And just, and she needs to take your duty, her duty seriously. Like we, we chose each other, but you have to keep choosing each other. Right. So I, I think sometimes we don't understand. It's funny, man. Like what you're tired of right now, somebody's begging for. Like you once prayed for this and you got it. And now you got too familiar and familiarity breeds contempt. So you got too used to your, you got too used to your woman, man. You took, you take her for granted. You're used to how she looks. You're used to how she talks and you don't understand she's a deep well. And, and the same for your man, he's a deep well and you have to have new eyes, new eyes. Can you see your spouse? Can you see the glory? Can you see the value? Can, can you see what they carry? Jesus said it this way. He said, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. He was basically saying, people who know you become too familiar with you and they don't honor what's on you. They can't see it. They're too close. So sometimes you got to leave your town to get honor. Right? So, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced that, experienced that Kelly. Like you're, you're obviously a talented guy. People know Kelly and they're like, sometimes they forget. They forget what you carry. They forget the anointing that's in your life. And they might take it for granted. So, Jonathan, this the, the three-day immersive experience. I'm not going to call it a, what I did earlier when I said a retreat because <laughs> you're about to you're about to choke me out with that white belt in jujitsu. Um, so, so, uh, <laughs> um, who who wouldn't those three days work for? Um, well, really only a guy who doesn't think he needs to grow. Guys who, who think that they don't need brothers. Guys who, guys who think that they, they went through a forging process 10 years ago, but they've let their foot off the gas and don't think that they need, uh, consistent pushing and challenging growth. Basically people that don't see the, see the need for continual growth. Those are guys who don't sign up. Those are guys who throw it to the wayside. Uh, but other than that, man, we've had guys who are 18 and guys who are 56. We've had guys wow. at different weight levels and different, different, I don't want to scare guys by the fitness test. The goal is you get yourself ready so that you can handle the mountainous terrain. That's the goal. Jonathan, how do we know where, because we want to build ourselves as men, we want to build virtue, we want to build courage. How do we know where that man needs to end to allow God to begin? 
Hmm. Well, could you, Kelly, unpack that a little bit? Because I think the two can coexist. Mm-hmm. But what do you mean where the man ends? Well, my, my friend, uh, my friend, David Hamilton sent me a, a verse and it said, you know, um, actually I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up real quick because I don't want to, okay. I don't want to kill it. Cause I, a lot of times I paraphrase stuff and I kill it. So I'm going to bring this up and the David Hamilton, you need to meet David Hamilton. David Hamilton needs to come on one of your, uh, three day immersive experiences. Okay. You need to come bro. Hey, I'm com- I'm coming. I'm bringing my yellow belt from Taekwondo. Uh, that I got yeah. back in the day, some some uh, Rex Kwando. I'm going to bring my Zuba <laughs> pants, and I'm going to be getting it. So this was his verse the other day, and he asked me about it. It said, my power is being perfect, uh, be, is being made perfect in weakness. It's 2 Corinthians 12.9. And my response was this. He said, you know, uh, help, can you help me with this verse, or unpack this verse? And I said, when we are weak, God could be strong. He doesn't need our ability. He needs our availability. But I've struggled with this at times because I want to build myself to be strong, right? As a man, as a, but how do I know when to say like, God, take it, like take this thing. Or when you were saying, can it exist both? Because sometimes as a man, I don't know about you, you seem like a very, integrity-based guy, virtuous guy. There's a lot of times I lose my cool and I, I, I'm like, yeah, that's what I believe. I'm going to set it on the shelf. And I, I did this one time when my daughter was in uh, second grade. So mm-hmm. she's seven years old. There's a boy. I won't name his name, but you know who you are, seven-year-old. <laughs> and my daughter liked this boy. And my daughter's friend, Vivi, liked this boy too. Okay, I'm narrowing down this boy. This was a while ago. But the boy chose Vivi. Good choice. Vivi's an awesome girl. But I was like, at first, I was like, good as a dad. And then I was like, wait a second. Why didn't you choose my, my, my daughter? She's a good girl. She's amazing. <laughs> She's beautiful. And then I went to school and I, I, I volunteered. Not, my daughter thought it was because I loved her, but it wasn't. It was because I was getting this boy. So then we go out on the basketball court. And on the basketball court, he's seven years old. At this time, uh, so he's seven. This is uh, seven years ago. So I'm 41 years old. Well, I get out on that basketball court, and this kid is good. But I tell you, Jonathan, I bodies his little ass up. <laughs> Every time he got the ball, I was right in his grill. And a couple of times, I stole the ball from him. I swatted his shot. I wouldn't let him rebound. And he's like, Mr. C, because that's what they, I tell him to call me. Mr. C, are you okay? I was like, yep. And he was like, he went for a shot and I blocked it. And I was like, get that out of here. You don't bring that in here. And I just bodied him. He didn't score one point the whole game. I wanted to teach him a lesson. But I set all my virtue and integrity to the side because I wanted to teach this seven-year-old a lesson that he should have chose my daughter. At that time, I was like, there's a lot of man that needs to be here and a very little bit of God. God, take a, let me stiff arm you real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan is there the right formula is there a place where you like is there a line where you're like God I'm gonna bring it to here I need to be strong and then I I want you to work or is it do you do you give in all or do you just go as hard as a man and then God brings his stuff what I mean what's the formula well I you know I think there's a tension because I I I think humans as humans we, we like black and white but I think 
I think there's a tension between um, who we're becoming and who we currently are, right? Who we want to be and who we currently are. And there's a tension. There's a thing called sanctification where we're kind of growing into maturity. And so I think the mature man understands the necessity for discipline and for virtue, but he's also gracious because he understands his own proclivity towards evil and darkness, right? Um, I always tell people, I'm only two moves away from becoming Hitler. You do the right things to me at the right time. We think we're so great. We think we're so nice and we think we're so kind, dude. You do the right thing to the right man. He's just a couple moves away from becoming a monster. And that's that goes for everybody. I don't care how nice you are. Uh, and, and so that tells me we really need grace. We really need, we need God to help us along the journey. So we hold virtue and we hold ourselves to a high standard and we strive to the best of our ability, understanding that underneath us, God is holding us up and he's, he's going to complete what he started. Our job is to just keep running the race, man. You know, like, gosh, you run a marathon, you're going to get tired. You're going to be tempted to quit and your pace may slow down, but can you be a finisher? That starts as a mindset, right? I don't care if I fall off the wagon this week, next month, next year, I'm just going to get back on the horse and try again. And God's getting, give me the grace to do it. And God's going to be faithful to complete what he started inside of me. So there's the tension. Can you be a man of virtue? Can you also be a man of grace? If you can combine those two, I think, I think you'll be okay. So Jonathan, what about the cobbler's shoes, right? So the, the story about the cobbler's shoes is the dude who makes shoes. Most of the time, his kids don't have any shoes and he ain't got no shoes and his shoes are all busted up because he's making everybody else's shoes. How do you in your family apply the things that you are teaching to everyone else? And I mean, because you're a world authority in that space. And if you want to, you know, take your virtue to a different place, you want to take your courage, obviously you're going to go on the three-day immersive experience, right? I said it right. Yeah. But like, how, how do you apply that in your family? And because I know if you try and be like, yo, four daughters and my beautiful wife that I love so much, we're going to go, you know, peak a mountain and then I'm going to take you through the mud and your wife would be like, nope, you ain't trying to lead me into none of that stuff. And that ain't going to work. That's going to work on the three day immersive experience. <laughs> but here in this house, it's different. How, how do you, how do you balance that and not have the shoes of the cobbler? Uh, well, I think as a parent, you, you could probably attest to this. I have to constantly go, okay, it's really not about what I want. Like, what does my kid want to do? My kid wants to go do back handsprings in the grass. My kid wants to go swim at the pool. My kid wants to play soccer. And so I'll go play soccer with the kids. And I try to find what they're into and try to support that. But I also, we also train our kids to, to have grit. So I do, we do, we do camp and we do make them stretch. Right. I, I, we work out with our kids. Um, we'll do laps around the neighborhood. My, my wife's at a local gym and my, my oldest daughter who's 13. She goes to the gym with my wife and we're constantly pushing them, you know, but it's measured and we want, we de try to demonstrate that for them. That's a real big component. Uh, so yeah, man. I mean, I think for me, I, my big thing, dude, 
is you asked me another, you asked me earlier, you said, Hey, what are you afraid of? And I'm, I'm always contemplating, am I legit? Am I just a hype guy? Am I, am I the kind of guy that talks, but I don't back it up with, with actual action. I don't back it up with, with true integrity. And I don't want to be somebody on social media that I'm not in real life. So I always tell my wife, Hey, if I'm doing content and it's not matching up with how I am at the home, I don't want, that's not the guy I want to be like, hold me accountable. Cause I want to be real. I don't want to be hype. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be just one of those guys that talks a nice game. And, and dude, we live in a time where you've probably noticed this, where we like to talk. We like to talk about business. We like to talk about theology. We like to talk about philosophy. We like to talk politics, but where is the action? Where is the doing of it? Where is the, where's the holistic integrity? Show me, don't tell me, show me. We'll talk about it later. Show me, give me, give me a solid man that can finish what he starts. And, and I will trust that man. Is my son able to come on the three day immersive <laughs> experience with John Rios? Absolutely. As long as he's not in diapers. How old is he? <laughs> Uh, his name is Maddox. He's 11 years old. He's 11 years old right now. <laughs> now he's a little too young at this point, but okay. maybe in the future. What's what's the age? What's the age range? Uh, well, the youngest I have I've had so far is 18. Um, okay. You know, because some of this the, the mountain ranges are have some. You know, it, it's a legit. It's a legit range. So you want to be methodical and careful with uh, liability, but. Right now it's 18 and the future, man, I'm, we'll have to talk kind of behind closed doors. Cause uh, I'm always, man, I'm always trying to brainstorm. How do we, how do we reach men? How do we, how do we challenge men, body, soul, and spirit in yes. different environments? So I'm, I'm in my head, I'm, I'm building something out in the Tetons right now. And I'm going to go scout that in, in July. And yeah, man. So I, I think there, we got to try to meet guys in, in different ways. So I'm, I'm flexible, man. I'm not, it's not my way, the highway. I got different ideas. Well, I know Mark Willis is watching and I believe, and this is what I'm going to call the shot. I believe that we're going to have one of these in Utah. Um, there's some really amazing mountain ranges there. And, um, that's, that's some, that's some really, 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 really cool stuff, man. Speaking to your daughters and your wife, person asked me this question um, a while back I was on a plane and I asked them a bunch of questions and I, I was so excited. And then they asked me a question and I was like, man, that, that's not fair. Like, because I had to answer, like it was easy. It, when I say it's easy to answer, the, ask the question, but they said to me, okay, so you're, you're on your, uh, you're on your deathbed and you got three things you could say, and then you expire. When, she, when they said this, I really had to think about it. And I was like, they, and then I was like, can I do five? <laughs> and she let me do five. But it never became so real in my life until December 19th, 2021. And because that's when my pops graduated to heaven. And two days before he graduated to heaven, I was actually by his side at his bed 
And he just, he told me um, two things. One, everything's going to be okay, son. And number two, I'll always be with you. If you are on that bed and you have those four little amazing women sit next to you, you could say three things and then you're done. What are they? Hmm. One would be go the distance. Anyone can start who can finish. You know, go the distance. God's with you. He's not against you. Go the distance. Right? Um, then I would say, be courageous, take calculated risks. You only max out potential. You only really live a true adventure if you're willing to take calculated risks, put your neck on the line, right, and really go for it. And maybe the third one I would say is you cannot do this thing without the Holy Spirit. Mm. You could memorize things. You could watch YouTube videos. You can go to the Primal Course. You could do all these things. But unless you, you have the Spirit of God burning in your veins, because God is a consuming fire. Um, man, man, the will, our willpower can only take us so far. You cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. So I would say dig into that. Dig into who, who God is and, and wrestle with the Holy Spirit. Wrestle with the, the Spirit of God that is here with us on earth and, and, and you'll be okay. Jonathan, I started the podcast because of my two kids. Maddox, who you just said that wasn't allowed to come, so you're just discriminating <laughs> against him. Um, <laughs> when you see him, when you see him, you're going to love this kid. I mean, he's just, he's a ball of absolute joy. Um, I've never seen anything like it. Like, you know, I, I, I wake him up in the morning and, and it was something that my pop would say to me all the time. He would say, boy, you're the greatest. You're the greatest <laughs> boy. And my son would say, and my son says to me, no, dad, you're the greatest. And then we go back and forth. And I'm like, I said it first. He's like, I said it second. It's two is better than one dad. Um, but he's just this, this ball of, of, of joy of love. And, and he just, I, it, it's, you can't like, you can't help but smile when you're around this kid. And then I got my daughter who's 14 years old and she is just, I mean, her heart, she got the biggest heart. And I always say that she has a sarcastic personality, but she is just so wise. She asked my daughter the other day, or asked my wife the other day, my daughter said, what do you feel about your grades? And my daughter at 14 years old looked at her and said, do you want me to tell you what I'd tell my friends or what you want to hear? <laughs> I, I, and I heard Dr. Dre just turn on right afterwards because that was some, some, some gangster stuff right there. But that's the type of young lady she is. She's wise beyond her years. She's such an amazing woman. She's in, the, in, the, uh, in like the theater and, and she writes and she's just amazing. But I made the podcast because of those two individuals. And I wanted to take iconic figures like yourself, that everybody sees this Jonathan Rios and, oh my gosh, he's just this, this, this being. And, you know, he creates these, you know, uh, the, the, the primal course and it's a three-day immersive experience. <laughs> 
And he's the man. Everybody's watching him. They look at him as like, oh man, like his word is, is so powerful. And what I wanted to do is take a person like you and help my kids to see that you're a human being and that anything was possible. And I wanted him to, to see Jonathan not as an idol, but to see him as an icon and to, to know that now he's Uncle Jonathan for the rest of his life. <laughs> so what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names, it would be awesome. Yeah. Well, you've obviously got a good dad on your hands. So um, I would say it's Alex and McKenna. Maddox. Maddox. Maddox Maddox. and McKenna. Um, I would say you have to be very, very, very careful not to, not to compare and not to believe the hype. People are going to applaud you. Be careful. You don't get too swollen with that. People are going to critique you. Be careful. You don't get too low with that. Right. If you know who you are, if you know, if you know what God says about you, you won't be too impressed when people applaud you and you won't be too, you won't be too uh, devastated when people critique you, because if you're going to stand for something, you're going to live your life at, at maximum potential. You're going to catch criticism. You will. Right. And you're also going to rub shoulders with some giants who have lots of talents and abilities, and you'll be tempted to be jealous of them because they're so there's they have quality and you want to be like that. You'll be you'll you'll catch yourself comparing. Be careful with that because that's not your path. That's not your trail. You have your own trail and your goal in life is to stay on your trail, not someone else's. Jonathan, you have been, I mean, way better than advertised, man. And you were advertised really, really well. I sat with Mark and uh, we just did the vibe room. And if, if anyone out there doesn't know about the vibe room, it's a, it's, it's exactly this, but it's in a live setting. So we, uh, Jonathan, I have three to four people that I bring in and one of which I want to bring you in for this. And I want to people to have an unfiltered, uh, you know, experience of conversation with you and to be able to, when it's, when it's done for them to be able to experience you in person. And we were, we did the vibe room in Orem. We're doing the next one, July 13th in Orem, Utah. And, um, when I did that, we got done and we went back to Mark's house and all he could talk about was you. He was like, you got to meet Jonathan, this primal virtues. Have you heard about it? And then he just started, he did the commercial for you. And, <laughs> and he, he is an evangelist of your, of the experience. And it's incredible. And all the people out there listening, I want you to understand that this is what we bring to the Vibram. This is the, the type of people, the real, the raw, the not the, we're not going to try and bring in a coach that's never done anything and that will tell you all the theories. We're going to bring you the Jonathan Rioses of the world that are actually doing it, applying it, and adding action to it. And oh yeah, if you ask him the question, he'll tell you about it. But he ain't trying to tell you about anything that he ain't doing. And I, I refer to it, Jonathan, is probably one of the coolest date nights in the world because we do them in Orem. We're going to be doing one in August in, uh, in Carlsbad. And you have three to four of some of the most iconic figures in the world that in a studio audience of about 150 to 200, and you not only get to hear the unfiltered conversations, but also you get to network with the people in the room. And so it's an incredible, incredible experience. I want to thank every single one of you out there that's listening. Well, you should all thank me for bringing you Jonathan because (laughs) Jonathan, you are an unbelievable force, man, and a force for good. And, and I love the fact that it's not, I, I, and I don't think that anyone ever feels this. It doesn't come from a sense of, um, 
I'm telling you what to do. It's like, nah, I mean, I just been through this stuff, man, and I'm working through it. And, you know, here's my, uh, here's my opinion. And here's my opinion, but it's, it, it's backed with, with experience. And I just, I want to applaud you on that, man. I want to, I want to tell you and honor you on that, which is unbelievable. Um, Every person out there that's listening and watching and that has been rocking with us since the very beginning of the podcast, I want to thank you. I want to thank our sponsors. We got a new sponsor that uh, that I uh, that will be up coming soon. It's Poppington, my son. This is cool, Jonathan, because my friend Anthony Torres, you know who you are. He reached out to me and he said, "Hey, how can Poppington be a sponsor on the podcast?" I said, "Well, we we, we work it out." And my son's favorite food is popcorn. And so my son at 11 years old can't go to a three-day immersive experience with John Rios, <laughs> but he can be the face of Poppington's popcorn. <laughs> so we're going to have to work on that, man. When he turns 18, he'll be able to go too. But um, I, I want to thank every single one of you, Chris Nagel, uh, Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas, um, Cardenas Law Group, and most of all, Primal Virtues and, and uh, Jonathan Rios, man. You are an unbelievable, unbelievable human being. And dude, I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. I I would love that. I I would like to have you in a jar and just have you follow me around, <laughs> telling me telling me how great I am, because that would that feels really good. I appreciate that. Well, it's it's something that my pops gave to me, man, from a very early age. He, you know, we refer to it as speaking life. And um, when when you get life spoken into you, it's amazing what can happen. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and my pop, my pops would say this, he would say like, you're the greatest boy. So act accordingly. And I was like, damn, that sucks because now I have to <laughs> act according to my greatness. But it, it's honestly, for me, it's what I heard from you all day today. It was like, no, you got this potential. And, and I, I, I hate that you broke down the word because now it's sticking in my head that potent, you're potent. I'm like, sometimes I want to be bland. Jonathan, <laughs> sometimes I don't want to wake up early and do the thing. I want to be a chump and I want to push God to the side and I want to go body up that, you know, seven-year-old and knock his shots out of the place and, you know, <laughs> tell him, you know, how to do it. But, you and me both. Yeah. How are you going to deal? Uh, the, one last question. How are you going to deal with boys in your, in your girls' lives? I don't know, man. My wife and I fostered 13 teenage boys over the course of a few years. So we've, we've been, we've been through the teenage boy phase, um, man. And I, I just think I'm really trying to train my daughters by how I treat their mama. So they have a, they have a template, but I'm also talking to them about, Hey, this is how you are to be respected and treated. And you're allowed to have an opinion and you're allowed to stand your ground and you're supposed to have high standards. And, and of course, any boy that's coming over or around my daughters, I'm the filter, I'm the filter point. Right. And, and but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to be a jerk, but I, I take it very serious, man. Like whoever's going to marry my daughters needs to be worthy. Hmm. Right. They need to be worthy. And that that's, that's fine. That's how it used to be. That's how it should be. So that that's kind of my grace, but, but standards, man. Jonathan, how can we, as the, as the podcast and all the people listening, how can we honor Jonathan? Uh, uh, well, okay. Two things. One, man, if you guys, if you guys pray, pray, cause I, you know, I, I, I say things some people don't want to say and that, that I catch heat for that. And I get, I have my critics and I get, I get slandered a fair bit. That's not fun. 
Um, but I have love in my heart, man. You know, I'm, 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 I try to not hold that against people. So, um, but I think that hits my family hard sometimes too, you know? So that's one thing. And then, man, I'm trying to just uh, grow the primal course, of course. Uh, I want to reach more as many men as possible. I also have an eight-week rite of passage uh, course here in Jupiter, Florida. It's, it's seven weeks are virtual. And we meet for the last week for a 24-hour crucible experience that involves basic hand-to-hand combat and paramilitary-style training. It's a, it's a crucible experience. So guys, uh, guys know that they do have what it takes and they have gone through a formal rite of passage experience. So that's growing. And then I'm, I've got a 2.0 version in Puerto Rico that, that I'm launching this October. That's Primal Course 2.0. I call it Aventura, which is adventure in Spanish. Uh, and then, you know, so I'm trying to just listen to what God's saying and trying to be a good steward. And uh, all, But my thing is, it's all about the right teammates. I'm not looking for followers, bro. I want teammates. Right? I don't give a rip about status and about being some guy. Like, I just want to be legit and love my wife and my kids and be solid and a good friend and and faithful to the end, man. So that's that's it, man. If you could think to pray for me, then do that. Well, let's pray for you right now. Lord, we come to you right now and just ask for a blessing upon uh, Jonathan with all the ventures and that your will would be done and not ours and that you would just lift him up and you would protect him, his family, and all of his business. And we say this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jonathan, you're an incredible, incredible human being, man. I, I'm smiling. Like, if, if you're watching this, you can see my smile. If you're listening, you could probably hear my smile right now. Because for me, I just, I not only did we have one of the coolest podcasts I've ever got the chance to do, but also I just gained a new friend. And I, I mean, hey, dude, Jonathan, I will find you. Like, I'm telling you, it's it's amazing to be able to see it. And I felt the energy. I felt that vibe right off the bat, like right when we got on today. And I want to I want to congratulate you on that. I want to thank you for it. And um, you're an absolute beast, man. It's even though you dis uh, invited my son uh, to, to come because, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm just joking with you, man. I'll, I'll get him ready. I'll get him ready. Um, but I, I love you, man. Uh, stick around for a second. And, but I wanted to tell you thank you, and you are officially off the hot seat.